1: It's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this!
2: Yay!
1: little harmony, flat on the brass there, there. <laughs> sorry everybody
2: uh, <laughs> horn section i was like you need to practice uh, oh boy
3: <laughs> i was like how did that turn into rocky <laughs> uh
2: because hey uh, we are recording this episode the day of the super bowl yeah. and as a uh, child of kansas city my kansas city chiefs are for the first time in my life playing in the Super Bowl. Is that so, right? First time ever ev- in your life? Yeah, it's been 50 years, dude, since they've ever played. They they were at Super Bowl 1 and 2 and have <laughs> not been back since. Really? Whoa. Yeah, it's this is Ow. huge for Kansas They're City. They're playing
3: the 49ers, right? They are. They okay. are.
2: So, by the time our listeners hear this, they'll know if I had an awesome day <laughs> or a shitty day or if I went hey. home sad. Aww. Uh I want to talk all about it, but let's introduce the show. This is Bigfoot Collectors Club the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal Paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. And our super producer, Riley Bray. Um, and Bryce, why don't you bring in today's amazing guest? Yeah, let's do it. Let's just jump
3: right in. So our next guest uh and his critically acclaimed audio documentary podcast, Euphemet, explores the strange and our relationship to it. So it's right in the BCC wheelhouse. Now, the result is an intimate and fascinating look at how these encounters affect us on a personal and intimate level. Uh, He's quoted as saying, We are in search of the other side, the thing under your bed, the signal of unknown origin, and the true stories behind the strange phenomena that are outside the sphere of popular consciousness. And he's also the founder of Defy Wrestling. Please welcome to the show, (laughs) Jim Perry. Hey! Welcome, Jim.
2: Welcome to the show, Jim. Thank you so much. I'm a fan of the show. Dude, we're a fan of yours. I love
4: you, Femet. This is as uh, comfortable as couch as I thought it would be, (laughs) just by listening.
1: There you go. Uh,
4: There's an ambience in here, and excitement is in the air. Yep. I'm excited for the Kansas
2: City Chiefs. Thank you. 50
4: years seems like hyperbole at this point. This
2: this episode has a very (laughs) short shelf life. They don't win. (laughs) It's going to be a bomb. <laughs> but it's funny, I wanted to talk to you, Jim. So you are, this is, this is an expert episode. This is an is. expert episode of the show, which means we're going to kick it off in the normal fashion, but then in the second half of the show, instead of us going on about high strangeness, we're going to dig into the mind of our guest, Jim Perry, and get his insight into the world Love it. of the paranormal. Great. it. Um, And then I'm going to run out and root for the Chiefs. But So I I wanted to talk about this. I was actually thinking about this on the way over, and I want everyone's opinion here, and especially since we have a a man who's familiar with the paranormal, the occult, um, the ufology, the esoteric. So uh, shortly before we started recording, Bryce asked me, were you going to watch the Super Bowl? And the past two weekends, well, uh, the past two weekends that the games have been going on, I should say, I've I've gone down to a local bar with a couple friends and I watched the Chiefs win all the playoff games there. Fun. So of course like people are like throwing parties and I've been invited to a couple and I'm like no, I have to go to the place where they won the last two games. And it's a little superstitious. I'm wearing the same hoodie and the same t-shirt underneath. Oh, I see. So here's the thing and like a friend was texting me and he's like, "Okay, so if we go there and they lose, it's your fault." And I'm like, no, 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 no. (laughs) If we don't go there and they lose then it's my fault, because if I go there, I'm doing my job, which is showing up where I need to be to root for them on game day. Now, everybody has these types of traditions for their sports teams, but I on the drive over here, I was thinking, this might actually make sense. If you look at, not that I'm solely responsible, obviously. No,
3: I'm ahead of you. I'm following where you're going. But
2: what I'm talking about here is, every time we're rooting for our team, we're sort of partaking in a grand occult ritual, Total right? magic. We are dressing ourselves in the colors of our team, sometimes painting our faces, sometimes dressing up as animals. And don't think of it as like, I have to be at the bar that I watched the last two games at, and if I'm not, I've ruined it. It's not that egocentric. I know that as this is my role in the ritual, And everybody else needs to be doing their jobs in the ritual as well to summon a win. Does this make sense? Absolutely. I think think we're onto something.
4: Yeah, very much so. I mean, there's, uh, there's even spiritual precedent for that, right? You know, tribes, ancient communities, lost religions, or even religions of now. That their whole practice is setting up these rituals, you know, to 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 enable something, the opportunity to manifest. And what you're discovering there is that within popular uh, popular culture, the same exact shit occurs every day, but we don't call it the same thing, right? You know, we're all involved in our own sort of fringe organized religions, but but a lot of times we just call it fandom, right? it's so true
3: and who knows with like all this collective belief it could like manifest into like a missed pass or just like some key element in the game you know i who knows it's fucking crazy i'm
2: just saying i need to be where i i need to be in my (laughs) you have to do your job not be so flat uh, on the harmony but then it
3: also could come down to that like hippo who who predicts the game who swims over to the to yep. the Chiefs thing or the, to the Niners thing, too. Or it's all fixed. <laughs> yeah, the whole right. thing's
2: rigged anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is right. something that I kind of want to explore in a future episode mm. is the conspiracies behind sports, but oh my we'll save that for another time. Sure. Um, uh, Jim, thank you so much for being here. Uh, before we roll into our conversation with Jim, Super Producer uh, Riley Bray, I'm looking at you because we have some... Um, This is from a couple weeks ago, and I'm sure, actually, I think we might have texted this to one another. Um, Jim, I'm sure you've heard about this, but we haven't had a chance to talk about it on the show yet. This is from The Guardian from a couple weeks ago. Scientists use stem cells from frogs to build first living robots. Oh yeah, I saw that headline. Have you seen this? No. This Mm. is the first living robot that has ever truly been created. Frogbot. So be warned, if the rise of the robots comes to pass, the apocalypse may be a more squelchy affair than science fiction writers have prepared us for. Researchers in the U.S. have created the first living machines by assembling cells from African clawed frogs into tiny robots that move around under their own steam. What? One of the most successful creations has two stumpy legs that propel it along its chest. Another has a hole in the middle that researchers turned into a pouch so it could shimmy around with miniature payloads. These are entirely new life forms. They have never before existed on Earth, said Michael Levin, the director of of the Allen Discovery Center at Tufts University in Medford, Massachusetts. They are living, programmable organisms. And so the article goes on they they did this amazing uh and you know science is a little over my head sometimes but basically what they did <laughs> was know. they ran science. sort of an artificial intelligence program where yeah. they were basically learning how to train these organisms before they ever truly created them over over months, you know, at a time running these programs in a computer to see all right, if we adjust this what basically creating a computer model as, as an example of a living animatic or an animatic for a living organism and then when they finally got the computer program to evolve to a point where they think they had figured something out, they created it using this stem cells and frog DNA and then these biomechanics, I don't know, it's so wow. crazy. So, um Their unique features mean that the future versions of the robots might be deployed to clean up microplastic pollution in oceans, locate and digest toxic materials, deliver drugs in the body, or remove plaque from artery walls, the scientists say. So these are tiny little, these are things that are going to fit in a fucking needle that you can inject into yourself. It's impossible to know what the applications will be for any new technology, so we can really only guess said Joshua Bongard, a senior researcher at the, of, on the team at the University of Vermont, The robots, which are less than one millimeter long, are designed by an evolutionary algorithm that runs on a supercomputer. The program starts by generating random 3D configurations of 500 to 1,000 skin and heart cells. Each design is then tested in a virtual environment to see, for example, how far it moves when the heart cells are set beating. The best performers are used to spawn more designs, which themselves are put in through their paces." So they they the computer ran like hundreds of generations before they finally perfected it, uh, but this is amazing. Um, this is the 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 thing that I'm really fascinated by. This is the idea of the ethical question of what of this creation, which they are terming xenobots. They're xenobots. calling these xenobots. So Tom Thomas Douglas, a senior uh, research fellow at the Oxford Euro Center. Oh, listen to this. I'm going to back up a little bit. The aim, uh, Levin says, is to to understand the software of life. If you think about birth defects, cancer, age-related diseases, all of these things could be solved if we knew how to make biological structures to have ultimate control over growth and form. Um, Thomas Douglas a senior research fellow at the, at the Oxford U Hero Center for Practical Ethics said there are interesting ethical questions about the moral status of these xenobots at one point would they become beings with interests that ought to be protected I think they'd acquire moral significance only if they included neural tissue that enabled some kind of mental life such as the ability to experience pain but some are more liberal about moral status they think that all living creatures have interests that should be given some moral consideration. For these people, difficult questions could arise about whether these xenobots should be classified as living creatures or machines. And they're talking about the evolution of these things could get to be, we could have mammals that are essentially hybrids of... We could have xenobot mammals that are walking around the size of dogs or cattle or even larger eventually. Where we've created now, we have this like weird mix of it's not even cyborg, you know what I mean? It's an all new life form.
0: It's the singularity, man. Yeah, it's coming. Man.
2: And they also made uh, a couple days ago they they made um, little jellyfish that are cyborgs with little mechanical propellers. You know, it reminds what, what, me. Really? It reminds
3: me of that quote by uh, Marshall McLuhan, and I had to I had to look it up. Man becomes, as it were, the sex organs of the machine world. As the Hot. bee of the plant world, enabling it to f- uh, fecundate and to evolve ever new forms, the machine world reciprocates man's love by expediating his wishes and desires, namely in providing him wealth. So in other words, our whole job here on, uh, as humans is to create AI technology, um, you know.
2: Yeah.
0: It reminds me of a quote uh, from Jurassic Park, which is, life... Uh, finds a way life finds a way also yeah. use frogs uh <laughs> yeah. dna to clone exactly. dinosaurs exactly <laughs> i was picturing jeff goldblum as that scientist the species the of the frog is the xenopus
2: lavis and which is where they get the name xenobots xenopus what Bot. do you think i mean this is wild stuff i mean this is we're now really entering like science fiction well yeah i mean there's, there's
4: so many science fiction stories that started right here right So many movies. This started right here. Mm -hmm. You talk about Jurassic Park. What's really wild to think about is that this is now. What's going to happen with the technology, uh, how it's evolving, the implementation of quantum computing? What's going to be possible about quantum computing when it's uh when it's related to to these type of experiments and and this type of life creation. Um it it makes you want to take a second look at like some of the uh quantum computing conspiracies that are out there in terms of its ability to to perhaps open doors and create different lives. So
2: can you nutshell quantum computing for us in our list? (laughs) I don't know if anybody can. That's
4: a no, no. Sure can. <laughs> now
2: I've heard, I, I've heard you talk before. I think it was in an interview with uh, Ryan Sprague on somewhere in the skies. You talk about you've spoken about the CERN about CERN and how it sort of and you've talked about how some science replicates sort of a t- a cult um, science in some form or another. Yeah. What do you, can you? Uh, what do you mean by that? Can you unpack that a little bit? Ooh, I know that's a big question. Yeah, We're you're starting off strong, heavy but real
4: quick. Um, you know, I I think that in general, this is how I'll answer around this. I think in general, there is a there's a there's a yearning for individuals who can't quite comprehend science and quantum science and technology. <laughs> you to, mean, uh, to as they <laughs> glance yeah. no, around I the room. this room, Bro, right? I comprehend just fine for for for. for <clears throat> For uh, these individuals uh, to, to be able to create narratives about what is possible, what can be possible, and the implicit dangers that could be there. As, as all great fiction and fantasy like to tell us, we're really trying to interpret perhaps as the hero's journey aspect of that. What does it mean for us? What's our relationship to it? And when there's something like a, a xenomorph or like these, these creatures that are so outside our realm of understanding, it starts to become a, a, a reflective uh, diagnosis to, the, to, to uh, the experiment, right? How does that thing reflect to us? And what is our role in that? In that way, we start to assume that well, maybe we are. Our intent really is to be gods, mm. in all of this.
0: I'm on that.
3: It's either
4: that, 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 or maybe we're just meant to be parasites.
2: Yeah, or I, maybe I like can we be both. Or maybe we're meant to be destroyed <laughs> yeah. by the thing that we create. All
4: parasite gods. That's my new band's name. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <So
2: that's what laughs> we add it do to here. the list. Yeah. Add it to the list. I mean, I get opening a g- for B J. In the Shadow
3: Bats. <laughs> parasite gods.
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I. I I get excited by the uh, the thought of like, hey, maybe now we are at the point where something we're going to create something that can actually clean up some of the mess that we've made. And I don't know if that's inexcusable or not, or, or excuse, you know what I mean? Like, maybe we should have just not made the messes in the first place. <laughs> yeah. But I love the idea that like, hey, man, let's get some of these little xenobots to go in and clean up the oceans. And, you know... help balance out our impact on the planet. Because Mm. I do think that regardless, we're all kind of looking for a savior in some form or another to come along and help us, turn the ship around when it comes to planet earth you, you know, know but is,
3: is it to turn the ship around or to keep moving forward i mean some 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 ideas are like the earth is just a placenta and it's our job to use up the resources to push us out into the outer limits and to become a spacefaring people you know and then there's the others mm-hmm. that say hey you know no 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 we need to reverse it and uh and and, and start moving backwards and create a uh you know, sort of a symbiotic relationship well, with that's.
2: Our I think it's more, I think it's, a, uh, look, I think, you know, Grant Morrison has said, like, all of this is nature. Don't fool yourself. Technology is also nature. It's exactly. coming from us. But we are clearly imbalanced right now, mm-hmm. you know, that there's more negative output than positive output with our, arguably, um, at least when it comes to uh, sustainability on this planet, you know. So... If we want to get off this earth uh, and, and expand, our time is running up, I, I think, in terms of getting there. So we need to come up with new technologies to help sort of offset the negative impact that we're, we're putting, you know, that our output is creating. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you agree? I don't know. I mean, this is all— It's hard to tell. Yeah, you know, I mean
4: that's tech. That's the role of technology, right? I mean, it's it's cleaning up our messes and it's making us continue pro- to propel forward right. to to you know manifest destiny. Or
2: yeah, I don't think we have to go back in time, but I'm saying we have to catch up with the way that we're moving forward. We have to have a more efficient system of moving forward so we don't fucking burn up in the process. Yeah, you know? but as agree, you can man. see, and it's and
3: it's clear to see, like cleaning up our mess always takes second seat to. Uh, you know advancement. But that's because of corporate mm. greed, brother. Yeah, man! Fight the power! <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> um,
0: I guess just the thing that you worry about, though, is that this thing that we've made to clean up our mess, as it gets smarter, does it just end up cleaning us up, Yeah, because it's yeah. like,
2: yeah. oh, well, they're making yeah. the mess, yeah. Yeah. so fuck yeah. these guys. These Xenobots <laughs> wake up I and they're know. like, hey, you guys are done. I know, it's true. Alright, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Jim Perry all about his personal paranormal history. Sweet. Love it. Jim Perry What uh, is your
4: (laughs) This segment is going to be much easier than trying to answer for quantum mechanics Great, you know what? We just (laughs) got
2: the tough stuff out of the way up front (laughs) Xenopus What is your personal paranormal history? How did you get into all this stuff?
4: Well, you know, when I was a little kid I'd be sitting there, I'd be watching TV with my brother And uh, it was very common for my mom to walk across the room and answer the telephone before it ever rang. And on the other side of that phone would be my grandma. And we'd be at my grandma's, and the same thing would happen, conversely. And this was a typical daily thing, if not many times during the day. Um, They seemed to have... uh, uh, such a uh, psychic relationship mm. such a bond that it was beyond any sort of twin magic it was a uh, it was something that seemed so natural and inherent to a part of our human process so what that did to me as a little kid i think it it uh it placed me in uh, it suspended my disbelief in terms of what was mm. actually possible i think and it just seemed normal at that point in time i later i discovered that Uh, You know, my family lineage includes uh, a great-grandmother who was Native American who claimed herself to be a white witch. Mm. And uh, within this, uh, you know, sort of family lore mythos, uh, there was a passing down of inherent gifts that would happen generationally
1: pretty
2: cool. Hell
4: so, yeah. I mean whether Rad. you know whether that's true whether there is something to that whether or whether it is just family lore and mythos like every one of us typically has. It's something that uh, it, it created a, uh, a space where I could explore alternative ideas, where I could have a table full of Sasquatch books yeah. and uh, would face no sort of opposition from my family members because somewhere in there, someone has had an experience. You know, my grandfather, he was a logger in the Pacific Northwest for most of his entire life and he would come back with tall tales and stories about running into a sasquatch family what and my 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 uh, grandparents uh, young kids my grandpa took my grandma out in the logging roads you know probably just for some wholesome good times <laughs> picking berries perhaps nothing weird and uh <laughs> You know, they have a story that they shared together often where uh, their car was being pelted with pebbles and then rocks and then a boulder started coming down. And, you know, my grandfather got out to look and and he claims that a Sasquatch was on the ridgeline throwing stuff down at their vehicle. Get out of here. So whether any of this actually happened or not, and my family's just a bunch of bullshitters (laughs) and storytellers. (laughs) It did, you know. It didn't matter to me, and I think that moving through a space uh, ju- non-judgmentally and just accepting the stories for what they were, and finding their connections to how they make us feel always captivated as me, captivated me as a kid. It's why growing up, it's why I wanted to become a director and it's why I wanted to act or something. And then it's why I wanted to communicate with graphic design and fall into the career that I did. Uh, it's, it's telling stories. It's, a, it's exploring these uh, myths within ourselves and our lineage and our family and our communities that really always captivated me. So that was, that, was, that was where I found myself um, for, for a very long time. And much like a, a, lot, of folks, a, a lot of folks our age, right, you, you, you get to that space where you guys have entered in the space of, of doing a podcast about the paranormal. There were probably years before that where it was on the back of your mind or you'd read the odd book every once in a while. But for the most part, career, took front seat, relationships yeah. took front seat and the, you know, the mystical and the woo woo and every, like, take the back seat. I'm trying to get laid over here. <laughs> right, you know what right. I mean? And you're trying to go about you your business. You can sit in the back
2: seat, you can watch, <laughs> but <laughs> right. you can't participate. Right, game. right, right.
4: You know, so there, so th- there's that period of your life until for some of us, that, uh, that legitimate falsehood of, the, uh, the cultural expectations of how we're to behave, how we're to operate, how we're supposed to move forward as a member of this, like, sort of uh, capitalistic community, uh, they start to become at odds with our feeling that something else is there and that, oh, my God, did I forget that. Mm. And when you feel like you forgot something so implicit about yourself and your family and your lineage, you start to feel like you fucking failed them and you know i as soon as i started feeling that it was in the midst of a of a terrible time in my life where i was doing these uh, i had found myself a, a creative director at an ad agency doing these really high profile uh, super expensive you know photo shoots and video shoots and uh just feeling like it was all bullshit and mm-hmm. that the game was rigged, and why am I really a part of this? You start to feel a little of your soul leaving. Uh, I started to sort of self-medicate myself with the paranormal. I started going back and listening to old R. Bell episodes. Wow. I started reading books and researching into the phenomenon again, just to just to try to find myself in all of that construct that I found myself in at that time. And so I did that with the paranormal. I did that with pro wrestling. Mm. I was just trying to find myself again. I was trying to find that kid that was like, anything is possible and shit's cool. So I did that with those two objects. And that's what led to me creating a podcast. You know, Uh, thankfully, I was in a career where I was already producing things. I know how to execute. So I was like, okay, well, why don't I just do that for myself? So I started doing the podcast and... I did that up into a certain point in time until I had to shift gears again, because the thing about any of this, and I'm sure you guys might agree, or have had shared experiences, is that, you know, this phenomenon will present you an opportunity to stare into the abyss at some point in time.
3: Right. Most definitely.
4: Um, (laughs) You know, Robert Anton Wilson calls it uh, Chapel Perilous, Mm. right? Um. So you know that 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 occurred. I had that chance to 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 look deep into the abyss and it and it uh spun me out a little bit. And, can you uh, talk about
2: that experience? Do you mind sharing any of that? Yeah, I
4: can talk about that um I don't even think I've really shared it on my own show before um but there there was uh there was an opportunity to go out to this this u f o ranch in eastern Washington state awesome. I was doing Euphemet. It was a talk format interview. I was doing it uh, on the radio, actually, at that point in time as a live broadcast. And uh, I thought it'd be fun to take my brother and my my redneck uncle who dabbles in the metaphysical.
2: Oh,
1: that's it's, great. Uh, Again, it
4: runs in the family. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he love was, a he metaphysical redneck. That's the <laughs> best. He was there. Great
2: All of our characters on this <laughs> podcast are actually metaphysical rednecks. So that's yeah. Good. <laughs> it's a real thing.
4: So we went out to... This ranch, and this this ranch is uh, on private property. It's this guy, James Gilliland. Um, you might be familiar. We were talking about him earlier. He c- speaks every year at Contact in the Desert. He has a place called Seti Ranch. And uh, it's, uh, y- you know, spitting distance from the Columbia River Gorge. Mm. It's in the foothills of Mount Adams, which is this, you know, picturesque, majestic, volcanic mountain on the Cascade Mountain Range. And it's at this location where uh, countless reports of light activity occurs, Sasquatch occurrences. Uh, some would even say contact happens, and uh, researchers from all over the world, including government officials, uh, you know, every single you know sort of hot topic uh, paranormal author has been there and engaged with the place in some regard. And there, there seemed to consistently be at least a mythos around this place. Yeah. You know, something there to check out. So we went out there.
2: It sounds a lot like Skinwalker.
4: Yes. Uh, skinwalker with, Skinwalker that is, uh, you know, attainable for folks to reach. Gotcha. You know, uh, there's actually a camping ground there. Like okay. you can go online and reserve a Book space a reservation. and just go camp. <laughs> so, uh, so, 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 so. Friendly Skinwalker. Yeah, exa- Well, that's the thing. It's. It's uh it's very benevolent. It's a mm. benevolent space, which is uh, which is you know in terms of the expectations for Skinwalker, which is kind of dread and doom. And I was there three weeks ago. There's Whoa. a contrast of uh,
2: of of
4: energy, at least alleged mm-hmm. energies, between those spaces for sure.
2: And is there any um, lore to that area that goes? dates back like is this known like you know skinwalker ranch is like in the path of the skinwalkers there's some benevolent mythology that's around this place other than just it being an active area
4: so there yes and yes and no there's nothing that is uh sort of based within the indigenous people in terms of that, except for its relationship, I think, to that chain of mountains, mm-hmm. you know that Cascade Mountain chain with yeah. Mount Rainier, Mount Adams, Mount Shasta it comes up
1: a lot yeah, on it this does. show yeah. so often. Mm-hmm. I
4: mean,
2: you know, as as you well know, the Kenneth Arnold, yep. you know, UFO first, the, Where it, all the, got the, started, it all started man. over yep. Mount Rainier over yep. there, the Cascade Mountain, and
4: interestingly enough, his second sighting that he had while he was flying. From Idaho over to investigate the Maury Island incident Mm -hmm. for Ray Palmer and Fade Mm -hmm. Magazine, happened near Mount Adams, closer to Mount Adams, and that first sighting with those nine Chevron was in between Mount Rainier and Mount Adams, right there in the stretch between Ape
2: Canyon is over there, that area, and. The stories of bad squatch are out of that area. Yep, There's Michael. all sorts of crazy stuff. Don't ruin it, it with bad squatch. It's it's. <laughs> r- Sorry, Jim. Go yeah. on. I don't know why, Where you draw the line sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're heading out there with your metaphysical redneck yeah, red yeah, yeah, uncle yeah, 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 yeah. and your uh, and, and brother, my brother,
4: who was helping me with the show at the time, and we were going out. You know, we were like you know, no expectations. You know, we're adults here. Like, you know, we're not going to get, you know, uh high, you know, hopes for, you know, making contact or whatever. Let's just experience it and take it for what it is. Well, we go there and the first night we're seeing such immense unknown light activity in the sky that is, it's like a parody. It's almost like, is this Like someone filming this, this like a prank show, like Kevin Hart jumping out somewhere, (laughs) like what's going on here? It was to that level where it was like, well, we came to the conclusion that if this is in front of us and this is happening, what else is possible here? You know, it's like a sort of an
3: entryway. Now, were these lights world. in the sky or were these lights these were, closer to the ground? So,
4: so here's what these uh, what this uh, anomalous light activity looks there. So these are lights in the sky mm-hmm. in terms of what you would, you know, uh, accompany with unknown uh, sporadic moving lights, uh, fast, slow, changing direction, taking crazy corners um, a lot of them flying towards the mountain. A lot of them powering up. Mm. Uh, as this was going on, this was the first thing that we encountered there. Uh, James Gillen comes out into this field, and it's called the Field of Dreams. And you all sit there, and he's you know they have uh, they have folks with. Um, uh, Apps going essentially running to to let you know what the the known satellites are in the sky, airline what traffic. constellation, airline traffic, and so they're monitoring that. They have a uh, you know special uh, 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 night vision goggles that you can look at these things with as well. And he comes out like some 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 guru type character. And there's you know it's a kind of a strange scene because he's a he's a he's a normal guy and he's a nice man, but there's a level of Paranormal groupyism that I think is, it can't be separated from some of these individuals. There's a lot of people there that are like, James tell me what these are you know and they're flocking to him right. and they're like middle-aged women and they're like please share with us the secrets of the world you mm-hmm.
2: know and I'm beginning and, to understand why he does this <laughs> yeah. There you go yeah.
1: it can't be separated it's from all it adding up a little bit It can't be separated
4: from it so you know very very calmly very unaffected he starts explaining some of this phenomenon they typically see and 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 he starts seeing uh, you know, this is a uh, pretty common, this, you know, sort of light burst that happens. They'll power up and, and they all heading to Mount Adams, he explains. And, you know, there there's a portal in Mount Adams, he says. And if you keep watching, the mountain is going to start lighting up and there'll be lights, you know, mm. at the foothills of the mountain speeding across where there's no traffic or humanity or anything. I'm like, okay, well, maybe he's onto something because of what we're seeing. And I'm standing there and he goes, Oh, you know, I'm getting a strange sense that there's gonna be a yeah, there's gonna be a mothership that flies over the house here in uh in a i don't know a few minutes and then not five seconds later this light that was stronger than anything that we had seen before you know flies over over the house what but, now we're not talking like this is a craft, and I see it, and it's defined, but this light that's within the proximity of somewhere far up there flies over and starts heading toward the mountain until it like sort of disappears and then reappears and then it heads in a different direction.
2: What color are these lights? Are they Usually amber? amber.
4: Yeah, kind of a star color or an amber color and so this continued to happen until we turn around and uh and then the and then the mountain starts generating lights. What? So these these this this <laughs> these lights w- will start almost as if someone have seen like footage of Marfa lights. Something kind of similar, mm-hmm. almost orb like,
1: mm-hmm.
4: right? Uh, they'll start generating and kind of pulsing, and then they'll go away, and it'll happen somewhere else, and then it'll go away, and it'll happen somewhere. And this is from the top, the very top of the mountain, uh, to the varied ridge lines, to the to the base of the mountain, it, it almost
2: sounds like you're describing like a Christmas tree, like it's lighting up, like there, individual lights on a yeah, Christmas it's a great, tree. Yeah, that's a great, coming in and going That's out. a great
4: description. Yeah, it's almost like a giant Christmas
3: now, did, tree. Did you get a feeling where, more so than just being anomalous phenomena that they were somehow intelligently controlled or sentient, or was there a distinction between that? Or, or there wasn't.
4: There wasn't at that time during the night. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was just kind of like. Strange lights. Strange lights. It, I mean, it was strange that so many of the lights were heading towards and seemingly disappearing into Mount Adams. Hmm. Now, the thing that I think about is, like, that, that's that got to be air traffic going over the mountain. You, you immediately start kicking in these, you know... I also had brought the knowledge with me that Mount Adams is actually a very popular destination for night hiking. Like, hikers, climbers, they'll do that thing at night, uh, which seems crazy to me, like what human would do that, but, uh, there's, you know, takes all kinds, but this was not, uh, this wasn't that, these weren't headlamps because the places that they were emerging, um, just didn't, they, they weren't on a ridge line. you know, they were up top, they were, and, uh, were some of them, perhaps, were all of them, maybe, but what kind of, kind of one of the most startling things that started to occur was this third- phase of lighting and these were lights that would occur in the tree line area of the of the base of the mountain that would begin at one end and perhaps go all the way across at a speed that no vehicle no human no aircraft no reflection at a speed none of them could have gone you know just a beeline sort of straight across and then it would would kind of disappear and then one would happen and they'd go halfway and then it would stop and it would kind of just at the base of the mountain there was all this sort of horizontal activity that would occur so that was strange but again your head goes like well you know maybe there are reflections or maybe there's like geophysical property that's you know you're making this occur until my brother goes hey look at that light up there on the mountain is moving too so i look up at this light it had been kind of like emerging it's one of the christmas tree lights if you'd like to say this thing this thing drops hundreds of feet in, a, in no time at all just like a pin dropping and stops hmm. so unless that was somebody dropping their headlamp or something <laughs> right uh the speed of which it happened didn't, wouldn't even seem to correlate with the speed of gravity. Um, It was so quick. So that was the first night, just seeing all of these lights, seeing all this activity in which, like, what is really happening here?
2: Um, and what was your takeaway that night? You're talking to your uncle, your brother, like, what were you—
4: we just couldn't believe it because considering we went in with no expectations, any of the expectations that we are harboring secretly inside <laughs> <laughs> right. or excitement um, were far exceeded. You know, you go into these places, you guys have been to these haunted locations or these vaulted locations. And so often they don't really often produce actual phenomenon. Right. Right. Um, Sometimes there's evidence, sometimes there's anecdotal stories, sometimes even synchronicities occur that give you a sign that something else is going on, perhaps. But very – it's 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 very rare that things actually pop up and go like, what the fuck?
2: Yeah, you plucked the <laughs> thought yeah, right, the right out of off. my head. I yeah. was like, it's so crazy that you went someplace looking for something and actually saw it.
4: Yeah. So after a matter of time of just, you know, sort of being in my apartment – you know broadcasting via this this radio show uh you know and and being at that level of doing these interviews all of that seemed at that point in time like uh like I needed to be out there more I needed to be trying to Experience these things, not to try to understand them, but just to have like some sort of context or perspective in terms of what the phenomenon like is offering in different ways. And so that was like kind of my first takeaway. Of course, the three of us were like, "Well, I mean, I don't know. Let's go to bed. Like, what are we doing here?"
3: (laughs) I just love how you said that. What it's offering in different ways. It's like it's got a whole cornucopia of ways it can. "Um, I'm today. You're gonna get some lights. Maybe tomorrow some Bigfoot activity. I've got plenty (laughs) of things up my sleeve. It's strange. Yeah, well, it's
4: it's it's a little bit synchronistic that you mentioned tomorrow Bigfoot activity because that's what occurred the mm. next day. Um, we went to bed with with James Gillen's stories in our head about what the place meant to him, and what it meant to him was a sacred space. Uh, he was presented with an opportunity to buy that land from the previous owner, knowing that it could possibly have been this spiritual space that he had been driven to through communication with extraterrestrials. Mm. And so like, like a lot of folks in the past or even now who, you know, are preachers and have their own, you know, I need to move to Alabama and start this church because God told me in the middle of the night.
1: Yeah.
4: Uh, You know, he had a communication with, with some beings he believes that, that told him this was the place he needed to be in. To 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 breach contact and make contact with with something else, so that's what the place meant to him. And then, you know, the, in the following years, he had developed a relationship with uh, he believes a myriad of of actual uh, different varied uh, alien communities or star families or beings. So when you're going through this place and you're going through some of the artwork on the walls. You know, it's it's artworks of the Palladians and the Arturians and all these different alleged races right. of, of extraterrestrial beings. So, if this place isn't already giving you this sort of uh, overabundance of stimulation in terms of anomalous light activity, they're filling you with all these notions of, well, you know… Just talking about grays isn't enough here because let me tell you they're not the only ones.
1: (laughs) You know, the walls
4: you're describing this is
2: like the 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 house that you guys are staying in. Yeah,
4: so you know it's it's kind of a compound. Right, the place is a a a campground slash compound. They have events there, so they have like a meeting hall. But uh, you know, Jim,
2: did you get seduced by a cult? Is this a cult? <laughs> you can, They have these robes. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm not <laughs> going to really say
4: comfy. no. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not going to say no. I mean, with all due respect to him and everyone there, you know, there is a sense with the folks that that uh, the volunteers. All right. Okay. Ah <clears throat> uh, yes. That work there. There is a sense of them looking for a place to belong. Right. Hmm. And uh, I I think that if there is. Cult-like activity or behavior, there it is in uh, the most gentlest sense, and that it's not um, uh, mandated by anyone. Mm-hmm. But but it is these places uh, do collect a interesting uh, variety of individuals. Um, some of them uh, perhaps looking for uh, at base level some explanation to what has happened to them in their own life, but AMC- on a deeper level. Sorry uh those that have experienced trauma mm, and are trying mm, to find some resolution yeah. to it where typical means are not doing it you know there's 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 not a big difference between some of this and those that offer uh, themselves to shamanic experiences and hike out into peru you know looking for medicinal treatments for
1: sure
4: so you know there's a there's a there's a sweet and a sorrow uh to these places there's an adventure that is there, uh, but no never. No matter how much uh, anomalous light activity or Sasquatch prints and sightings, which happened the next day, uh, you, I can never separate the humanity of these places from the phenomenon itself.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you mean by that? You separate the humanity from the phenomenon. I believe that we're... Whether whether we like
4: it or not, we're co-creators or vessels of this stuff, I think. Uh-huh. You know, I often, I, I get asked a lot on podcasts what I believe after going and, and being boots on the ground in all these different places. And I always say, well, I don't know what I believe, but even that was like kind of in question. And I think that, that even in question is that I, I am starting to develop some opinions i guess yeah about what this could all mean and i've done my best to separate myself from these ideas a to protect myself because i'm also a vulnerable piece of this puzzle i suppose but b i want to try to be the best uh, sort of clear vessel to communicate the stories and the messages of the people i'm featuring like yeah. you earlier today i don't want to place any of my judgment or my constructs or my notions of things onto you mm-hmm. um but as I go along, you can't help but separate yourself from just trying to find some understanding in it. And I think if anything, I'm starting to really understand that, you know, these hot spots that we go to to find Sasquatch or, you know, uh, gray alien activity or, or fairies or what have you uh, cannot be separated by the individuals that that are... Chasing, trying to discover, interpret yeah. what's there because just like a bunch of people wearing a Redskins jersey or Chiefs, how
2: dare you? Sorry, we're not that racist.
4: <laughs>
2: Problematic, yes, <laughs> but we're not that outright. Yeah.
4: So, just like a bunch of individuals wearing uh, a Chiefs. sports team jersey, we'll say that. Uh, you know, we we all develop our own ways of communing, kidding ourselves to be a part of a initiation, yeah. perhaps.
3: You know, you asked me earlier, like, maybe what surprised me, or if there's anything I learned on this podcast, and I think you hit right on it, that that going through all these stories of high strangeness, most of them which I was not familiar with before, you run across this theme that there's a parlay happening, that that the observer and the observed event uh mingle with each other and it and it takes one in order for the other to happen and 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 I think you're absolutely right i it, whatever this uh phenomena is it, it it needs us as a receiver to to manifest itself or to show us the things that uh that we think we're seeing so you know it 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 takes us and yeah I think there is definitely that human component to however this, this manifests itself, whether that's seeing a Sasquatch or contacting a UFO or seeing an alien or or even a poltergeist activity. Well, it's, It runs itself through us. Well, it's
2: fascinating because as you're saying this, Bryce, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at you. I'm looking at the shelf over your shoulder thinking about the name of this podcast. And, you know, I think... An example of that arguably could be whatever your connection to Bigfoot is, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, whether it's manifesting you in the phenomenon or you're manifesting it in your life, right? Like if you look back, I mean, you have a way stronger connection with Bigfoot than I do in terms of just. The esoteric output that's happening around your orbit right now. It you know, seem, yeah. you, Willow Creek, the film you did with Bobcat, this podcast, now you're hosting a Bigfoot series. It's a lot. You know, no, no, but <laughs> yeah. I, I'm just saying it is sort of, Bigfoot has become a totem for you and your life uh for whatever reason. You know, I might argue uh and I think it's still loose, but I might argue that I might have a deeper connection to whatever extraterrestrial or u f o phenomenon is happening out out there. I would you know agree. what I mean, yeah, um even though that hasn't manifested yet in God ugh, please <laughs> that hasn't manifested in well, it's certainly not in this like large scale mass culture way that it's forming for you, which is almost like witnessing a um ritual become manifest in and of itself it's right strange, like, for sure somewhere along the line early on you started a conversation with bigfoot and now that's that's echoed so loudly that like it's on people's TVs now yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah which is wild
3: you know yeah and i, I we were talking about this even earlier it it seems i don't want to use the word effortless but it 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 hasn't been it hasn't been an uphill battle. For, no, and, and, those are
0: the best paths. I
3: haven't been fighting it. You know, it just—I've just been following the the flow of it because I'm I'm passionate about it. I'm intrigued by it, and and it's not work for me. It's
2: what Campbell Joseph Campbell would say about following your bliss. Yeah, like if you go through the door, that's your blissful door. Like more and more doors open. And, and, you know, I'm paraphrasing him, but no,
3: totally. And listen, I've I've had to like kind of confront this. Like even speaking with my therapist, I'm kind of like, yeah, but acting's supposed to be my bliss, you know. And it's kind of like, mm, you know, yeah. uh, maybe it's changing. Yeah, maybe it's a maybe it's a hairy wood Well, ape, you know? and also maybe it goes.
1: <laughs> no! Yeah. No, no, that's no, that's not no. my business. Or maybe
2: it, it just simply goes back to what Jim was saying earlier about being in a moment where you know you're in a career, yeah. But getting back in touch with those things that grounded you or sparked your imagination yeah, as a child and things that you had connection to all along. And I would argue that it's all. You're bringing it all together, you know, in a Mm -hmm. really kind of fun, cool way. Interesting. Um,
0: At the end of the day, I think we're circling around this, like, fundamental question of... Like, does the universe need consciousness in order to exist? You know, yes. like the if if something is not perceived, then can it exist? And so we we always come back to this role of the perceiver and the paranormal. Yeah, I,
3: I think that's like the the big question. You're like, on it, man. Consciousness we... is the is the is the big game. I think absolutely.
4: And and where it gets really spooky is when you start factoring in the. Potential reflective nature right, of the yeah, phenomenon, yep, yeah And that how much intent perhaps can deal with
2: this. Let's take a break on that thought there. That's a good cliffhanger. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Jim about what happened on day two with his Sasquatch encounter. <laughs> Alright, we're back. We're talking to Jim Perry about his experiences at the East Ranch. So, night one, you see all these weird lights, and then you said, the next day, what happened? This is all leading towards your experience with some form of chapel perilous, um, which we'll get into as well.
4: Yeah, you know, the next day we woke up, and at this point, we had, uh, took our shirts off and made them into uh, handkerchiefs around our necks, and uh, we were seemingly wearing different glasses we were uh you could say on the other side of something okay Uh, we had we had accepted that um if this is the new reality then uh we we don't we don't care anymore and we're just going to just dip in you know okay
2: and uh did you have any aid, any help getting there? Yeah, did you get mushrooms? No, 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 <laughs> no. You know, <laughs> that's the funny like. thing is, you,
4: it's because you don't need it. Yeah. Honestly, you don't need uh, I think that it's a good question, though, because I think that we had touched into this earlier today, I think, a little bit, is that sometimes the nature of this phenomenon is not too dissimilar from that of shamanic experiences with things like hallucinogens. There's something about it that becomes revelatory in a fundamental way you you can only hope to understand or explore, seemingly.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It
4: gives you the idea of possibility, the idea of something else, and that, oh, hey, yeah, maybe you're a part of it sometimes, but maybe also you're not.
3: Yeah, so you're another, in that
4: middle space.
3: Totally, I think another way to put it too is you know, magic mushrooms aren't the only road that leads there. You know, there's other ways to get there too. It was DMT, ayahuasca, yeah, or just saying. or just focused attention, <laughs> <yeah>. mescaline, uh, <laughs> even stuff out, even out, stuff outside uh, a- agents. You know, there's yeah, there's I'm also just, just focused attention, and you know, for 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 some tribes, it's the beating of a drum or or dancing spinning, or spinning, breathing. Uh, Breathing, yeah. meditation, you know? yeah, yep, or mescaline,
1: yeah,
2: <laughs> just or like <laughs> rigorous jerk off session, <laughs>
1: right? <laughs> yeah, uh huh,
2: like <laughs> becoming an edgelord,
4: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I, That's how you talk an to edge lord. the
1: aliens, <laughs> ask oh as Jack Parsons,
4: uh, <laughs> as, uh, yep. yeah, right, ask Crowley, <laughs> like, I mean, you're not aliens. wrong, <laughs>
3: he's not wrong. <laughs> Chapter 12 Edgelord, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right yeah the, anyway yeah the great uh, beast but you uh, were Mr. saying <laughs> well
1: so
4: after a, a rigorous session of uh edging <laughs> we uh we went out into the field together new people and uh you know the, the previous night gilland had mentioned that uh, sasquatch was uh, a big part of that land and that there were two distinct sasquatch personalities a a mother and a and a son i believe and the son being smaller and more mischievous they had a small apple orchard and and he would be seen sort of there uh he would throw apples at people on occasion Uh, you know people would step out of their yurt they had yurts there they'd step out of their yurt and he'd just be standing there you know sort of tempting them to not look away you know uh so after the night previous, we were like, well, yeah, I mean, of course, like, of course there's that, you know, thinking like, well, you know, let's just go explore the space, see what's going on and, and just uh, kind of reflect a little bit. It felt like something sacred was happening and not being overly religious people or even uh, at that time deep into, uh, you know, spiritualism at all. Um, you know, one of my best friends is a non-dual Kabbalist right timothy rothschild uh, you know and he he would he would say in that situation hey just like just just explore it probably doesn't have a meeting even if it's something that seems meaningful it is just kind of it is what it is so we kind of went with that approach until you know my metaphysical redneck here my uncle he says you know guys i i like i want to go explore this grove of trees in the middle of this field i don't know why i'm just kind of like they're kind of calling to me I'm mm. Like, hey this is great like he's having a calling like this is awesome so we went over to this 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 patch of earth, and uh, descending onto this small hill that gets to this grove, this outcrop of trees, uh, it was kind of this sandy embankment, and within that, depressed, was what could only be described as the most classical sasquatch print no way I'd ever ever come across not just in real life on social media or anything else mm. um i've got a photo of it i'll share with you guys later awesome. oh yeah that was, we'd like to throw it up on the instagram yeah if that's fantastic okay. yeah absolutely so when we discovered that it was almost as if we were now initiates into a game there that we were playing with something else and that it just gave us the next clue or so the next cool. insight and, you know, to, to see that, we were excited, but also skeptical still because we're human beings. And I was like what, like, what am I even doing in life? That started to approach, and we started to become more insular even after that moment. I think right at that moment, we were a, a group, and then we started to sort of split apart in some weird way. And as we walked back to the campground, two girls, like, come up to us. And uh, they're laughing, they're joking, and they're, like, kind of, like, doing motions and, and they're, like, looking like they're kind of apes and stuff. And we're, like, "What? hey, what's, what are you guys doing? You're having, like, too much fun over there. And they're, like, oh, well, we were just talking. Like, we couldn't believe it. But as we were driving in here to set up camp, we I, I swear we saw two Sasquatch. Ugh. Just, like, right in the tree line. They weren't hiding. They weren't running. We drove past them like they were two vagrants or something and they just kind of stood there. We're like, Whoa. like, yeah, we, we saw them about, you know, 15, 20 minutes ago. And we had just, you know, my group had just come back from finding this print. Wow! And so if that wasn't enough, you know, the, 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 the night rolled on and the same light activity occurred for the second night.
1: Mm.
4: And you know, we we're gonna be we we're gonna be leaving the next day. We were there for three days. And on the last day, oh, needless to say, like within those days, they have all sorts of activities and events that you can partake in. There's a facsimile of the universe set in stones out in the field where you 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 have the opportunity to go out there with someone who believes that they can channel a light language. Which is like speaking in tongues, but aliens mm. uh, and angelic beings, and and so forth. And you would do that with a guided meditation to find your star family. Okay, yeah, yeah. So we didn't we didn't do any of that. It was already like
1: <laughs> we get it. Yeah, like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah.
4: Yeah, we don't need to go on the rides. We like don't, we don't need totally to killed to the, the lily here. To yeah. go on the rides. <laughs> so uh, you know, I I decided we all decided before we left the space to just. To just separate, go in our own directions for an entire afternoon and just try to reflect on what happened here. Because, you know, yeah, because, you know, mystics would say that would be a process of integration, right? We were looking, we didn't have the words for it then, but we were looking for a way to try to process that. So I I found a a place in the middle of the field uh, looking towards the mountain. The sun was setting. Uh, It was a clear day. It was. you know, that sort of brilliant technicolor sort of sky where it's like, you're wearing blue blocker sunglasses or something. Right. Remember those is mm-hmm. <laughs> so radiant. And, uh, I'm like, you know what? I haven't meditated since I was forced to in theater school.
1: Wow.
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm going to try to do that. I'm going to sit here in this space. I'm going to try to meditate and I'm going to try to breathe. And I'm, tr- I'm going to look towards the mountain with a soft gaze and i'm just going to take this in and uh and then go home and try to live life so i sit there and i start going through the process and i'm you know doing this i don't even know what it's called anymore but i was doing this meditation where you you, you uh you know you you focus on your spine like burning right mm-hmm, sure. and uh and you're focusing on your breath and you're keeping a soft gaze and you're being very open this was all a space that i, I was very vulnerable in and even right now talking about it, I feel weird, like, talking about it for whatever reason. Um, and I'm looking up into the mountain with this soft gaze when I notice that on an exhale, a light appears on the mountain very dimly. And so I kind of like, okay, focus, focus, like, mm. yeah, you saw light, they're working up, but it has nothing to do with you. Just do your thing. Take a big, deep breath in. And I exhale out again. And the dim light, as I exhale, begins to grow Mm. in intensity. I (laughs) breathe back in and the light dims as I breathe in. So for the next 20 minutes, I sat there with this mountain, breathing in and out of this light. As if it were a fucking ember. Wow. And I was seemingly in communication, whatever this light was, and was trying to tell me something, maybe. And, uh, after that night, I had to just, like, I had to quit the show for a while. I just stopped. Wow. I couldn't do it. And, um... You know, it took, it took a year, you know, it took for other opportunities to present themselves for me to start getting into the space again. And I've never been able to go back to like a straight interview format. I've always had to do documentaries and find myself in these places, but focusing on the voices and the stories of others and how this phenomenon is reflective and speaks to them. Because I think on that day, it was reminding me who I really was. Mm. And that was someone that doesn't need to believe everything he experiences uh, to feel it. And I think that was like a big lesson for me. I think I'll end some of this story with, uh, I went back. So it was really big for me to like sort of tackle this again. And this time I brought my best friend, Tim Rothschild. Wow. And uh, he came over from the East coast and he had to experience this himself, you know. Being someone that is a a non dual shamanic healer, you know, he's he's a mystic that's on this on this path. What does it of mean to be
3: non dual? I've I've heard that uh, yeah, that so, before.
4: So non dual is essentially a sort of a version of of Kabbalist teachings that it's the process of including all. Right. You're not separating ego right from it it's inclusive so what i actually dig about that now i'm i'm not one of them to to the chagrin of tim actually um but I, I like the idea that you're including the human experience in that spiritual quest in whatever that is sure you're not shutting it down so that's i think why it can also relate to tim because he's at the heart of it, just he's just a, a down-to-earth kind of guy while also participating in this high shamanic work. So it was really valuable for me to bring him out there with me this second time just to be like, right? Um <laughs> and of course, See? like we we had our own, you know, sort of vulnerable moments. And I've shared some of these on stuff, but I even had like a, you know. Uh, a really embarrassing moment that taught me a little bit about belief Um, And where, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night. We were in this yurt. I woke up because I caught, like, the glint of some light coming through the window. And it was a a brilliant, radiant light. It was just piercing through the trees. And I got up, and I go, holy fuck, what is that? And Tim's like, you know, as you wake someone up, they stir, and they're, like, trying to get their balance, and he looks out the window immediately. What the moon?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: so it was like, oh shit. You know what I mean? But that that was a that was definitely a lesson. Yeah. You know what I mean? Somewhere in there. But the most profound thing that happened when Tim and I went there for that second time was uh, we participated in a table tipping ceremony they did there and this table tipping ceremony which if your listeners are attuned with that you know american esoterica you know deeping and dipping into the eastern occult would be a spirit divination technique where they basically use a table to rock back and forth Mm. to communicate and receive messages from angelic beings extraterrestrials dead loved ones etc so we were there as they were channeling these angelic beings. a very small room very cavernous uh there were other folks there they were in it they believed every second of it they were there with all of their vulnerabilities Mm. and there was about four or five of them and one of them one of them was a um you know a really attractive woman like her probably her early 30s or late 20s she was alone and it was like something isn't something is out of place in this room. You know what I mean? You you had a lot of the same type of individuals, and then you had her. and it was and, and, and she was really being moved by whatever was going on in that room. And she was, you know, she began to cry, and she was, like, just so connected to it. And it became a really heavy space, but one where it was like, there's something else going on here. So later that night, you know, it was Tim and I field of dreams again you know not as much light activity on the mountain but as much activity in the sky and wow. we're we're reflecting in the 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 other person that's out there in the field with us you know late deep into the night was this girl and you know we're kind of like what so what bright why, why are you out in the middle of you know the state you know this weird ranch she says well uh my husband was really into this stuff and i never was but uh he's not with me anymore he recently passed away in an auto accident wow and uh he'd always wanted to come out there and he never got the chance to and so he she was doing it for him and having this deep sort of catharsis and or relationship to this place as a way to communicate with her dead husband. And Mm -hmm. uh, I thought back to my experience out there changing my t-shirt into a handkerchief around my fucking neck and acting like a goofball and being like, well, I'm not judging, but like, maybe I kind of am because I think I have to be some fucking stereotype to be out here. When there's other people that are deep, deep, deep in uh, the throes of trauma or tragedy or life changes, that are just looking for something they can hold on to that reflects back into who they are. Mm. And, um, you know, I wasn't doing the show at that time. Um, This was after, you know, of course, my first experience there. But it was um, it was her that helped inspire me to start it again, but to find people like her that have had traumatic things happen in their life or things they can't explain or just the, the bullshit in life that, that equates to something else through the lens of the unknown and the strange and what we can't handle.
3: Man, that's so powerful. And it goes back to even that, that intro. Production and, uh, and what I love about what you do on Euphemenda is so often we just, we love to tell these stories and the details of high strangeness and what did the craft look like and and what did the beings say? But we so often leave out like, well, how how did that affect you and where you were in your life at that point? And, and I think we often forget or maybe even leave out that perhaps this is what this uh this phenomenon is doing is 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 and why it's manifesting to those in need you know perhaps there's something more on that level of a of of a place of needed experience you know and 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 whatever it is that's this that's accomplishing these strange things maybe that's some of the reason why it's strange to think about but that's an a testament to to uh to what you do uh, that's a crazy Thanks, crazy story
2: Hmm. Jim, I uh, can I I wanted to ask you a question in that moment where you decided to take a break from doing the show. Um, because oftentimes we hear stories where and Bryce and I, you know, this podcast, and I don't have to repeat the story, was kind of kicked off after a few months after an experience that I had where I was like, fuck, you know, I really want to explore this stuff a little bit. So you used the phrase um uh chapel perilous yeah what is that and can you talk a little bit about that in that moment why you chose to step back from this for a minute and were you still exploring in your own way even though you weren't doing the show
4: yeah interesting um Chapel Perilous, I think Robert Anton Wilson would describe it as that moment in time where you reach the unknown when you're approached with something that you, you can't quite describe and you, you seemingly have a choice. And that is to, uh, you know, become a stark, raving agnostic or a complete full tilt believer. Huh. And, uh, and you know, learning from that, I, I think that there's there's probably a middle ground. There's probably a more non-dual approach to that, uh, dare I say. But it's also, you know, this moment is also described as the darkest night of the soul. You know, it's described as a spin-out or a shattering in mystical communities uh, where essentially your your old version or your current version, let's just say that, your current version of your place in reality, perhaps, uh, is gone. And you have to make a choice about how you believe your own life operates and how you believe you operate in that life. Um This is the point where folks, sometimes even with um different condition conditions, you know if if you have someone that is maybe uh battling schizophrenia. Or uh, you know other
3: um, psychoses.
4: Yeah, you know they. This is the point where sometimes they don't come back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, (laughs) there, for we're we're lucky. There's a privilege. There's a privilege if we have a choice. Yeah, Mm -hmm. uh, is what I'm trying to describe there. And yeah, there's there's stakes involved. Um, because it is it, essentially at that moment it feels as
3: if uh, you, you need to make a choice. Well, it's so easy to say, and at that point you have to decide in what you believe, you know, yeah. and, what, right. and what is the nature of reality. Oh, yeah. I could do, yeah. Well, no, no, that's yeah. that's a that's a perilous precipice, mm-hmm. you know, and and you have to, and on on one side is is. is is something i think we all fear is, is just falling into that abyss of like i'm gone now my my reality is is shattered and uh now i i live in psychosis or there's the other side of no i'm just uh, you know um i won't believe any of it you know and so you, yeah it's walking that fucking it's walking that razor's edge and, and that's one of the toughest part of this job i think and
4: uh greg newkirk and i we you know will discuss this Th- these events greg newkirk uh
3: planet weird, planet yeah. weird and, um, hellier hellier we've
2: discussed uh, the show.
4: you know it, it, we we decided you know we were we were taking a long car ride from i think the middle of nowhere west virginia at some point in time and uh we decided that perhaps the best approach really is one foot in one foot out totally at all times.
3: That's what they say Bigfoot is, one foot in the physical world, one foot in the spiritual world. That's so why we go you only to...
2: find one footprint in the sand. <laughs> <fence? laughs> yeah, I mean it
4: goes back to the, this the the notion of liminal spaces, mm-hmm. you know, and that the, the 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 veil somewhere in between. There's some somewhere in between that veil that we talk about. Yeah. And that uh that, that was what was so capt- captivating Uh, to me about your story was that listening to your story and I think how your story developed as you told me uh, that and it reflects what you were sort of mentioning about Bryce's story is that seemingly there is this middle space that keeps reflecting in your life and you're finding these places of liminality Mm -hmm. and they're almost pulling you deeper into them or reminding you in, in various ways, whether it's career wise or anything else, that like, no, 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 come come back to the middle somewhere. Yeah. And uh, I think that's probably like some sort of a blessing or something.
1: Yeah. Right? Because it's <clears throat> I think so. You can't go
4: over too far over here. When you do it like kind of brings you back and yeah. You know, there's something seemingly like really
0: special about
3: that. Yeah. A blessing and a curse, like all good things, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just don't go crazy,
0: but yeah. don't be boring either.
3: No doubt about it, for yeah. sure. Well, <laughs> well,
4: those phone calls will persist as now that we're now that are friends and we're you know like these these are phone calls that exist. Like, yeah. hey, don't. Don't go crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, you know what absolutely. I mean. Like take some steps back. Absolutely. levity is so important in this sort of stuff, and For that's why community in this stuff is so
2: important. I totally agree. One hundred percent. Unbelievably, uh, we're reaching the end of a full length episode already. But before we go, we have to play a game. Now that we've decided to keep feet in both worlds, yeah, we got to play a game that we play with all of our guests before we oh, say boy. goodbye. All right, and this is called. Bulk.
3: You say it during the queue. Uh,
2: I so thought good. I say bullshit then. No, no, it's like, Q's. this is called...
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: bullshit. Or believe it. We're never going to get it right. 102 episodes. And why right. should we? <laughs> so I'm yeah, going to no, go down probably, a list of phenomena. <laughs> differently this each time. Yeah, oh, you're going
4: to make me like say I don't believe in things? <laughs> you're going to say believe, believe it or Bullshit.
2: Oh, no. All right? Oh, no. And if it's somewhere in between, you still have to pick one of the words, okay? Okay. You find out which side of your feet are on on, on each of these, okay? Here we go. Oh, no. uh, or I should say which way your weight is leaning. Uh, Jim Perry, on your mark, get set. Ghosts.
4: Uh, believe it?
2: Go- uh, UFOs. Believe it. Bigfoot.
4: Uh, believe it.
2: Alien greys. B- Believe it. Out of body experiences. Believe it. Demonic possession.
4: There's just so much context that's needed to be added to this. Believe it. we
1: can circle, we can circle game. back. <laughs> the Bermuda Triangle.
2: Yeah, sure. Believe it. Alien abductions. Believe it. Loch Ness Monster. Believe it. Moth. Oh, time travel believe it mothman believe it reincarnation believe it esp believe it haunted houses believe it the illuminati believe it there's a face on mars
4: (laughs) (laughs) um bullshit skunk ape believe it heaven Believe it. Hell. Believe it.
2: Sea serpents. Oh, believe it. Poltergeists. Believe it. Chupacabra. Mm, bullshit. Atlantis.
4: Mm, this
1: game's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just about to say I'm
2: very much enjoying watching you. It's only hard. I don't know you why I'm it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, believe it. Uh, life on other planets. Believe it. Parallel Dimensions. Believe it. The Apocalypse. Bullshit. Life After Death. Believe it. Well done, wow. dude. So so that's well pretty done. good.
4: Yeah, that's good. Is that a lot of belief, though. Yeah, yeah a, a lot. Sh- yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. It means you did great. Demo- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's circle back to Demonic Possession, because you're yeah, like, yeah ah.
4: Well, I mean, I, I think Possession of Some Sort, for
2: sure. Mm-hmm.
4: there's something to that.
2: Phenomenon. Like a literal entity entering your body and yeah, being yeah, like, I'm going to take over for yeah, a while. Yeah.
4: Maybe. Yeah, perhaps. But, but a, a demon, I don't know right. what, a. I can't clarify what a demon is. Right. I don't know what that energy is. Or right, if it originates
2: so, from the mind, or yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because one would argue addiction yeah. is a type well, of know, demon, or 100%. Any type of obsession, obsessive yep. thinking, or obsessive demon came action. from the
3: word daemon and you know, Socrates called it his daemon and that was just his, uh, it's that inner voice, yeah, uh, so mm-hmm. which is a strange thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so being involuntarily possessed, like 100%, where
4: that yeah. comes from, I'm not sure, but there's something to that, and whether it's more metaphysical or something more based, but uh, just qualifying as, dem- I don't
2: know of, of demons, I'm Got sure. Got it. Cool. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. You're doing pretty yeah. well Yeah. Then. yeah. If yeah. you haven't encountered a demon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. He's yeah. thinking about it. He's like, yeah, I don't know. I was like I the ones <laughs> that are
3: like, they say believe it in heaven and then don't believe it in hell, you know? It's like, yeah, ah, you can't have both well, ways. Yeah, right. But right, on right. this game, you can.
2: You can have whatever you, you can want. Have whatever you want. Uh, Jim, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I, I, what a pleasure. I, I mean, Jesus, I wish I didn't have to run off to now root for a sports team. <laughs> <laughs> Take place in an occult ritual. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's better. Uh better. Yeah. Where can people find you from at? Where can people find you? Uh, where in the woods can you be found, Jim Perry? <clears throat> uh, I don't know what woods I'm going to be in next time but um, probably in upstate
4: somewhere. Um, looking for Sasquatch, maybe. Nice. Uh, <laughs> actually, owls and synchronicities. That's what I'll be doing next um, up in the woods. Uh, they can just find everything at euphomet.com. It's E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. And you can find me at all social platforms at It's Jim Perry.
2: Great. And the conversation you're referring to with you and Bryce, where can yeah. people find that? What's They the, can find it at euphomet.com. will be the best way to
4: subscribe okay. to uh, the Euphomet podcast. Okay. Comes out uh, typically this next season, which is going to be launched on February 14th. Okay, great. Starting with a feature on Ryan Burns at Skinwalker Ranch. Oh, nice. And then deeping deeper and deeper and deeper
2: into the esoterica. Uh, at yeah, that we point. didn't even
3: get to your time on Skinwalker. We'll have to have We're you back.
2: We'll listen to it's you right. from then find right. out. Yeah. Uh, Bryce, Riley, anything to plug?
0: Uh, it's a new Spender albums coming out soon on Alternative Tentacles.
2: Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we, of course, have our live show at the Bigfoot Lodge here in Los Angeles on Monday, February 17th at 7 p.m. Please come see us. It's a free show, ages 21 and up, because it is uh, a uh, venue that serves libations. Um, please go to campfire or uh, T public, slash Bigfoot Collectors Club to get all of our merchandise. Mm. Um, and, of course, guys, uh, we're running low on L files. So, uh, write to us with your personal paranormal history and stories at Bigfoot Collectors Club at gmail.com, and we will read them on a future episode. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again to Jim. Thank uh, you. I remain until next time. Michael McMillan for Bryce Johnson and Riley Bray. Until then, good night. And go get rest. <laughs>
3: Bigfoot Collectors Club is produced by Riley Bray. Our theme song is Come Alone by Sun Eaters, courtesy of Lotus Pool Records. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps get the podcast to more listeners. To support the show, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Bigfoot Collectors Club and unlock multiple reward episodes every month.
4: Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds.